just a, a funny thing because it was it was June. The the fertility clinic is festooned with pride flags and like all these like pictures of you know cute interracial gay dads. Um, but again, it was just you know the, despite all the pride flags, just like a very confusing uh, setup for people. Welcome to Don't Think Twice. Vijay and Stevens is the writing and producing duo of Amrita Vijay and Andrew Stevens. Best friends, business partners, creative partners, and now soon to be co-parents. This week, the baby gets made. Our host and friend Marina Weiss walks us through the year from deciding to do it to it getting done. We do discuss pregnancy loss in this episode, so do with that what you will. had frozen the twins mm-hmm. and they were you knew that they were in a freezer and then what happened so that was completed in the pandemic mm-hmm. in summer of 2020 we were locked down in our apartments <laughs> and so our focus turned to um what where everyone was at that point not knowing where the future was um, so our leases came up and we put our stuff in storage to move out of the city because the work we were doing uh, was also delayed because uh, live events weren't happening. So we decided to to spend a month in Detroit and landed in Cape Cod for a few months. And then in early 2021, went to New Orleans initially for three months and we kept extending and extending uh, because we enjoyed it so much. And in that time when we had a few months under our belt in New Orleans and we're able to think and vaccines were coming into the world. We we're starting to understand that there was know, a that future the world was move forward <laughs> in some way. Yeah. Uh, that reignited the conversation about um, having children. Uh, and in that same time we had lived together and we've touched on this in a previous episode we had, had lived together for the first time. Lived together for the first time. And so that had um, changed our relationship a bit. And so it, it was then that we sort of looked at each other and, you know, what are we waiting for? There's no guarantee on anything. I mean, it, before the pandemic, I think we had some, on some level, an expectation that we'd be somewhere professionally, financially, romantically, maybe even whatever, romantically. Yeah that then we would decide that the next thing to do would be to put some... You know, I'm, I'm glad that you refreshed my memory of that, of how much the role the pandemic actually played in that, because that really was kind of existentially important to this conversation, because uh, absolutely, there's this idea that it's like, well, I don't want to be in a certain place in my career. I want to be in a certain place creatively. I want to have completed certain things creatively. I want to like, you know, we... Things were going so, things were going so well at the beginning of 2020, and a lot of people relate to that. Where I was like, "Man, our business is going like gangbusters! Like, you know, our like pitching process, our creative endeavors are really go, like going really well." And then it just all out of our control. And even in normal times, it's like, "Oh, there's never, there's never a good time. There's never a right time." But especially that being like, well, even if I had gotten myself into a place where I felt like I was in the right romantic relationship or the right 
career spot or whatever. Who's to say that that wouldn't all get taken away the next day? Security and getting yourself to a certain place of comfort is like kind of an illusion. So why wait for that? That's such an interesting idea that the pandemic kind of stripped you of these illusions and let you know that like if this is a goal for you, it could be a goal sooner Mm -hmm. rather than waiting for your like Rihanna level success before you have your (laughs) offspring. And so it was springtime, summer, uh, that in New Orleans, uh, that we looked at each other and but that's also so interesting that it was in New Orleans because I feel like New Orleans is such a, it's like a, such a vibrant place. It's such a place that makes things feel possible. Well, it's a vibrant place, I think, because of its proximity to mortality. To, for me, it adds like extra like urgency to for life. And so it sounds like you're not totally sure what the contents of that conversation were. Or like what made you decide that it was now and to actually like pursue this? Well, I don't remember exactly the conversation, but I do know that this was also around the time when you, Amrita, the concept of being a more active parent. Started to change a little bit. Started to change. Yeah. We didn't even try before you had the notion that you wanted to be more active. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um so I guess my question is, do you remember at all the, between the embryo freezing? When I was thinking of myself later? as the Because something happened on. in that year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot happened in that year. I don't know that there's like a really like logical progression from thinking like I never want to be a parent. I'm, I'm certain that I do not want to be a parent to saying I would like a more active role. Kind of what we were talking, what we were just talking about of like sort of the the existential dread of, of um, especially being in New York. I mean, Marina, you like, you know, that as, you know, as acutely as we do of, during 2020 was like really, I think it's a that's going to be something that we think about for a long time and try to like grapple with how crazy that was. I mean, and just to give people who might be listening to this color, like there was no time where there was like a, for me, like an, a, even a brief period where I could forget about how acutely the pandemic was affecting people. And it was this incredible helplessness and terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge, it was a, like, I think a huge thing that we all, shared that that experience and um so I mean I think again like if I was trying to put a narrative to my like changing my mind um or or evolving my mindset around that like maybe maybe that was a a, more of a part of it than than you know than I uh care to think but like um but I think it really was just because everything was so exploded you know we exploded our the structure of our business it was all, it was very lucrative. It was very stable. And then all that stability kind of went out the window. And, and I think part of that is just like, you know, exploding all those structures is exploding the expectation that like parenthood had to look a certain way. And the idea that like a family structure can be different or that like, that what I'm, what am I actually rejecting when I say that I didn't want to be a parent, you know, having a lot of time to myself to think that, uh, it became more clear to me that I wasn't really rejecting the idea of uh, being a parent, but I was rejecting the idea of being like a wife and a mom in these like very, you know, 
what I perceived as the, the, those tropes and the expectations that they carried with them, the expectations of like what it means to be a wife, <laughs> what it means to be somebody's wife and what it means to, to like be a mom in that context felt, it still feels very terrifying and, uh, to me, um, being a mom, being a mother terminology, because I think it has so much baggage around like what, what we expect of moms and, um, you know, women within a family structure that, that was the core part of that decision was, um, kind of untangling that what, what I, what I wanted to distance myself from was like the role that I perceived, um, and the heavy burden that I perceived of, of being like, uh, in a nuclear family, being a mom. And let me summarize and correct me if I'm, um, getting this wrong, but what I'm hearing is like, there was a fear of losing yourself and losing your creative self in the self-sacrifice that was like culturally ingrained in the idea of what motherhood was. And I think it's so interesting to frame it that way, because I think, Andrew, I know you as well to be somebody who is like in many ways very good at being a caregiver without any kind of hangups about that, right? So I think in some ways you are such a complementary parenting pair in that like Amrita, you're so conscious of the ways in which society is telling women who are parents that they need to drop everything else in favor of parenting and right. devote themselves in such an intense way that that's been repulsive to you and I feel like you really fought some <laughs> of the socialization yeah. Yeah. around that and and Andrew I see you like as kind of the inverse where you're very comfortable caregiving and less comfortable receiving care right right do you have any fears about getting lost in parenting losing mm. yourself in the caregiving process mm. in any way or mm. do you have other kinds of fears oh plenty of fears mm -hmm. uh, plenty of fears about um I can also redirect us. So how did you decide how to proceed? Like once you decided, okay, I'm comfortable with parenthood. Andrew's comfortable with parenthood. I said, okay, like I, I, I'm going to, I told Andrew like, well, actually I do want to parent this child. I think there's like some, you know, there's some conversation that needed to happen between us too. I mean, I think you, you pretty, you were very open about, you, Andrew, were very open about saying like, I'm, I'm open to discussing like whatever kind of like however much you want to be involved. In, like, so I couched it as like, I will be raising this child. It can be a hundred percent me or it can be any percentage otherwise up to 50. <laughs> <laughs> and you can choose your own adventure. So it, I, I hope it felt like there was no pressure I, th I think you were remarkably open to that, which I think is notable. <laughs> like that you were willing that you were willing to envision this as being a one hundred percent parenting or fifty percent parenting, and that was equally just like kind of. I mean, I mean, it not really. I mean, a child is not really yours. It's just like you're raising it. Okay, Khalil Gibran agrees with you. <laughs> I think that that's a beautiful idea, but I also think that. In this case, like this child is literally your idea. Like if you hadn't pushed for this Fair. child, I don't think Amrita would have individually yeah, gone absolutely. for it. And yet mm. a child is not mine. Yeah. So, so I think I, I think I was maybe still even coming to that decision of like, what's my role? Um, but I, but I was very much like, 
had had turned a corner on the idea that like okay i want to take a more active role in in parenting and in raising the child so we had two embryos but we also had time <laughs> and so we decided and t- by time i mean Amrita was only a year older than she was and you were also a year older <laughs> everyone was a year older yeah <laughs> Uh, so we decided to try, um, I say the new old fashioned way. Um, <laughs> not the old, old fashioned, not, not the, the old, 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 fashion old fashioned way. way, which is intercourse. <laughs> the new old fashioned way just requires a syringe. Well, we didn't quite, ha- we, we didn't so quite we, figure that out. There were trial and error, but it turns out the, the best method for those who are curious involves yeah. a syringe without a needle for those who are thinking picturing a syringe with a needle yeah so basically the order of operations though is that i then had to get my iud out that had survived so many travails including the actual egg extraction um so i thanked it for its service and sent it on its viking funeral so our first strategy um if you don't mind me getting into the gory details is uh, was um you know like a diva cup like a silicone uh menstrual cup cup. and that fits snug and the idea was that okay well that's gonna like keep things (laughs) yeah it's gonna put material in then you insert it and then you put your legs up a wall and then it stays so then it has nowhere to go except we thought up and the other thing that you have to that that was like very surprising to me about the process is that like I sort of always had this impression that it's like if you ever have unprotected sex you'll be like you'll just get pregnant immediately and then when you're actually trying to intentionally become pregnant it becomes clear that the actual window of like female fertility within a month is like 24 to 36 hours and maybe even less than that um so the process involves a giant box of like a hundred paper strips, which you dip into your own urine <laughs> every day and track your, um, what's called luteinizing hormone. It's your LH level. So you track it, you, you know, you sort of understand what, what it looks like for a normal level for you. It's different for everybody, what it shows up on the strip. And then like when it becomes positive, it's not like the COVID test where any line is a, is a positive. It has to be darker, as dark or darker than the other line. And that means that you are somewhere in the 24 to 36 hour window. So like that's the starting gun. So it's not that scientific in a way. Like it is, it's a miraculously scientific in some ways that you can just do this at home. But it's also not not as precise as I wanted it to be. I really wanted there to be a science to it. I wanted my body to be like so regular. It was like, it was like you know, some days it was ovulating on the 11th, the 12th day. Sometimes it was like the 20th day, you know. So it was a, there's a wide variance. I found myself very frustrated with it. Yeah, you, you were. And it was hard to follow. Yeah, because I wasn't following it myself. <laughs> um, I wanted a yes or no. And, and I was like, I don't know. It looked like being like, is that line darker? Is it the, would you say this is the same color? <laughs> Are these two different purples? It's like the <laughs> like, dress problem. Yeah, driving myself wild. Like, so we, tr- we, we went through a few cycles of that. Um, 
trial and error, you know. All failure. All failure. How much failure? Like how many? Um, So we tried in August. Three or four. We probably tried in September. We probably skipped October because we were moving back to New York at that point. We might have tried one more time at the end of the year. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. We had been using the Diva Cup silicone seal situation. And then we decided to try a new strategy after that. This is when the syringes came into play. Yeah. And really it was a, when you want to get something done, ask a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) So we got some friendly advice to use a syringe. To place the sample as close to its destination as possible. Yes, as you can imagine, but that's that's (laughs) the advantages of a syringe. Uh, And the first time it worked. Yeah, immediately. Immediately. Wow. Affordable, effective. A hundred for like five dollars. Yeah, Yeah, highly recommend. So what month was that, May? May. You know, at the same time, we are trying to get all the people together to make a movie that we're going to make later on that summer. And we're, you know, still working and we have some other, you know, things going on. And, and Amrita says, you know, I've, it, I, I think it worked. And I said, well, did it work? And she's like, I think, I think it worked. And, you know, taking a at home pregnancy test. And it's like, I think this is, I'm not oh, sure. I squinting at the two lines, which the pregnancy test, much like the COVID test is any line, any line is a positive. So we weren't sure the line wasn't that strong. And then we went back to the fertility clinic to confirm the pregnancy. And then what happened? And then they were monitoring my blood levels, um, you know, every, like, and keep in mind, like, I think for if you were somebody who was just sort of like, you weren't like actively trying to get pregnant with the level of intention that we were, like, you might not have even perceived that you were pregnant this early. It's very, very, very early. Um, So at this point, they're just looking for the hormone levels to double every 48 hours or something like that. So at first, things were progressing that way. And then at a certain point, they're like, well, they're, they're not. The levels aren't going up fast enough. This yeah. is not viable. Not viable, right. Like Now it's like we you have to just wait and see if your body is going to kind of like naturally have like a what you would you would again if medicine was involved at this point you would just perceive it as being like a heavy period but like so that'll either happen at home or our worry is if it doesn't happen then um then we'll have to be there will have to be more medical intervention which would would be in the form of like a dnc so that eventually did happen uh very, like pretty heavy bleed um which was which was painful it was like it was like an uncomfortable it was like just a very very heavy period feeling um and uh and that was kind of that it it kind of i I mean it was a little bit i think i was a little bit bummed actually like that that um that you were out of town when that happened just because uh we were pretty we were very private about it and like hadn't told anybody probably eight weeks you know something like that at that point so it was very early um like i didn't really want to tell people because not because i had any like shame about it or anything but because then i'm telling people that we're trying mm-hmm. and then i felt like oh this means i'm now setting up an expectation that i'm gonna that that people are gonna a- ask me about later 
and then I'm going to have to keep people posted, you know, and I think that was probably a false assumption. You know, our friends may not have actually had any expectation at all, but, um, yeah. And I mean, I can understand that, but I also think, you know, we have a lot of flexible friends (laughs) and you could have set an explicit verbal boundary and been like, Hey, I just want to let you know this happened, but I also want you to know, I don't want it, you know, open myself up to checking in about it later. Like, that I, this is, I would just want to give you <laughs> this deposit info and I would like to ask your permission to like set a boundary. It's totally normal that you felt bummed about this, right? Miscarriages can be hard, but I think also for like hormonal reasons, like your body changes gears really fast when you have a miscarriage and it can often feel like a kind of hormone cliff for a lot of people. Yeah. But, um, but in general, I also... I think another reason that I didn't tell people is because I felt like I wasn't going to be performing the the right role of like person having a miscarriage <laughs> because I wasn't like that torn up about it. Mm-hmm. So I felt like if I read people in, like the expectation was that I was that I was going to be like grief stricken and that I was going to be expected to like perform like grief in a certain way and you know, we sort of alluded to this off the air, but like, we just don't talk about miscarriage. It's like a very common experience for a lot of people, but, and there's so many ways to experience it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think that that's like a beautiful way to react. And I think that there is a little bit, I mean, all experiences are valid, right? All emotional experiences of miscarriage are are valid, but there is this over-determination of the emotional experience of that, which I think, yes, again, comes from this like stereotypical understanding of what that experience is about. And like, just like any other termination of pregnancy, right? Like just like abortion, it can be a great experience for some people, right? Yeah. Um, And I think it's important to keep that in mind that we don't need to like, it's part of the misogyny of our culture that we kind of over-determine what a female emotional experience should be. Um, And, and what was, what was your like kind of emotional experience, if if any of, of, um, I, I, I wasn't disappointed in that early pregnancy is early pregnancy. And with that comes a lot of miscarriages and also wonder if my thinking about it was slightly softer because I do know that we have two embryos. So I, there was no loss of hope that there would be other, mm, interesting, other attempts and other possibilities. So I wonder if that sort of that it kind of gives you the sense that there's more there's more options to try or something. Fundamentally, if you have a miscarriage, you've lost something that you really wanted, mm-hmm. and assuming you wanted it, and you're not, and you hope that you you hope that you can do that again, that you can get pregnant again. So like hope has to you know. But know. it it's no longer a referendum also on your like fertility status when you know that you've yeah, created right. other embryos, right? We, we had what, the miscarriage in June-ish. Mm-hmm. June. Um, and then f- we decided to go back to the fertility clinic. We decided to try IUI. Yeah. So I thought, well, let's get science involved. <laughs> and it turns out that there, so for IUI is basically just exactly what we were doing at home except with a nurse's intervention. So they test your blood levels to verify that you are ovulating, and then they insert the sample themselves. Like So it's literally exactly the same thing, and they're tracking 
nearly the, the exactly same the same thing but in my mind oh it's now we've involved a clinic now we've involved like science so it's going to be so much more scientific just saying it's not <laughs> it's like they're not using any more sophisticated uh system other than you are at home um we went there we, we <laughs> did a cycle of iui which is just as you described and i offered up the donation and we went through the process and did not work nothing did not, did not work amrita asks specifically do i need to wait until i get my period again before we try another An time IUI. otherwise meaning do i need to give a little time between the miscarriage and my next cycle or and the fertility clinic says no 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 you can just jump right back in in <laughs> retrospect i think we should have listened to our our own because we we had conversations at home and our both of our guts were like we need to wait yeah until an, and i think it's, i think it's a really like po like powerful thing to like pause on that because like again it's this the idea of this unwavering respect for the medical uh you know medical advice or medical opinions and then putting your own sort of gut instincts to, um to the wayside but it, for this particular instance like we knew that we probably should have waited and and we didn't and we ended up spending a lot of money that i, I kind of regret spending on the I, the iui process and um and i think it later became clear that it would have been potentially better for us to have waited i should say also the doctor told you one of the doctors yeah one of the doctors told you that no one ever gets pregnant using the syringe method. And so the fertility clinic, I should say, there was a main doctor, but she seemed to be on vacation in Mykonos all fucking summer. summer. So <laughs> Which good every for her, time, God bless. <laughs> every time, yeah, right. <laughs> every time I read it, went, it seemed like she was with some other doctor. No one ever read the notes. So every time it was this frustrating challenge of explaining our relationship over and over again every single time every single time it was like like so i'm confused so you are not sexually active so you are sexually active but not with this person you know it was just like this whole like sort of rundown every single time i'm like oh my god this is like yeah so speaking of optimally shoulds <laughs> how uh do we how did this successful attempt come to pass so so we had the IUI and then and then we tried the syringe for the second time and for the second time it worked. Yeah, so so I guess this is, this is like Andrew has a smug expression simply to say to the doctor who said <laughs> that it that it rarely works or like this like it just does, that doesn't happen. Uh we're two for two on successful back to back. successful two two. pregnancies. The only times we've tried that it has worked. Basically, I think that's true. Yeah. We tried twice. It worked twice. Yeah. So. So dangerous information for people <laughs> who want to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, but, but that's like a really powerful experience to have. And also in the face of these experiences of feeling like quite invalidated by people who are clearly not able to put you into a easy box about like what your relationship was to each other and how this process would work. Right. 
Yeah. And I remember you, I think it was like July saying to me at some point, like, oh, how old do you think you want to be when you get pregnant? Like how, what is your plan timeline or something along those lines? This question. <laughs> yeah, I guess And I true. asked you back and you were like, oh yeah, I've actually like, I've been trying. And I was like, whoa, oh God. <laughs> I thought you just like had embryos in the bank to like pull out like Rihanna later. Like I didn't have a sense that that was like any of these processes had been going on for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So it was August that we, that, that the second syringe was successful and it was, August 2022. August 2022. And so pretty much a year during, after Over we... that summer, we had been, you know, putting together all the things that needed to put together for our, our shoot for a short film we were doing. It was, and, and the short film, I should say, is a, it's about this very topic. Based on our, it's inspired by our relationship, I should say. It's a better way, yeah. Um, and it involves, you know, uh, the idea of non-traditional family and becoming pregnant. And it was the night of the first shoot. It was a three-day shoot. And we had been up since uh, early morning. And we got home. And Amrita said, she had mentioned it to me earlier in the day. Oh, I think this is the window. To prepare me because she knew it was going to be a long day. And I was going to want to go home and go to bed. And then we got home and she's like, you know, it's, it's the window. And I was like, I'm, it's, I'm ready. Like we can't it's do t- this. We gotta be up tomorrow. We have two more days. This is a huge days. project for us. We've spent all year putting it together. I, just, I gotta, you know, uh, but I said, but if you, you know, if you want to try, and she's like, yeah, I mean, I think I said, let's try once. Let's try one time. One time. We do not have to spend this whole shoot weekend perseverating on this but let's just do one and done and then it and then we'll say we tried this and we'll say we tried this month and so that was that and so that one and done worked and which is such poetic so funny during the film shoot and the film is like about about our relationship and so that all was like written down and the shot list was made and everything was all in place and then like that the baby was actually conceived that the first day of the shoot that shoot so your film and your baby are just going to emerge into the world simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love this. And how do you feel now? I think there's a there's just a weird poeticism to how that happened. Um, like moment of kismet um, t- brings together some of the other threads we've been talking about, about like, you know, the fulfillment of the creative self and not wanting to lose that. And it's like, how fitting is it that the culmination of this huge project or, you know, a, a huge moment in this project that coincides with the moment of the conception of this baby is like, I don't know, that's like, you can't, you can't write fiction. <laughs> Things felt like they just came right on time and it all sort of fit together. Um, and of course, it's easier to think in retrospect, I'm glad that, you know, didn't happen a year earlier. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, that's also something that's interesting that it's like, if it had happened, like if we had figured out this, the right system right away, it would have actually thrown a huge wrench in our plans to actually execute this, the, our, our first short, you know? I mean, as Zarnail Hurston says, right? Like there are years that ask questions and years that answer. Maybe this year's mm-hmm. answering multiple mm-hmm. questions at the same time. It's like <laughs> abundance overflowing i love that yeah the 
gravity of something that's happened to me it takes a little time for for things to to sink in even the good stuff that happens i don't immediately feel like really happy about something good that's happened i just i i like i'm slower to come to it mm. so august 2022 i'm pleased i'm happy mm-hmm. now i'm excited mm-hmm. But that's months later. Yeah. For me, that has been a huge like psychological change too of like, um, yeah, getting, getting excited, getting, um, prepared in, and that has, it's like still ongoing, even though it's now I'm pretty deep into the pregnancy from where we sit right now. Um, but it has been, it's taken a while. And this might be a woo woo question that we cut, but. When you imagine your baby now, what do you imagine? That that was a big progression for me. I really didn't conceive of it as anything mm. for quite a long time. I was so cautious at the beginning that I didn't take the time to think of it as anything at all. And I and that's partially I've been doing some catching up <laughs> on the on the you know back half of this pregnancy of uh, emotional catching up to that. Um, Yeah. And for you, I think it's a different process because I think, you know, for a lot of people who get into a partnership with the aim of building a family, there's a years long discussions of like, what do we want? Do we want a family? Yes, we want a family. Okay, let's try for a family. And this was a relatively rapid Mm -hmm. progression like relatively speaking, yeah. you went from like, like in a just year. a couple years ago <laughs> yeah. being like definitely just holding the door open for this possibility, but not like specifically envisioning a family in this way to like very rapidly being like, okay, it's happening. It's happening. But like, what is that? All of the processing of like, okay, I'm going to be a parent and I'm going to yeah. be an active parent and all that stuff. Very new. It's new. Yeah. So, so that, that's part of the catch up too. But, um, I, I would turn the woo-woo question to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I see a little swaddled little bean. A bean. A little <laughs> bean. He like, he he coos and then he does his, you know, he's not crying in the ideal world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes sense. But so, when he cries, I like look at him to make sure I, to try to learn why he's crying. But, but he's just a little bean. A little bean. <laughs> I love that. In our next episode, what has the pregnancy itself been like? We take you by the hand and gently guide you through the hellscape of the modern American healthcare system and how we navigated it as a non-traditional family. In the meantime, you can find Marina Weiss, poet and clinical psychologist at marinaweiss.com. We are at vjandstevens.com or at vjandstevens on Instagram. That's V-I-J-A-Y and Stevens with a P-H.